our scripture readings from today are going to be, frankly, Jesus' greatest hits, which uh, I guess is a bold thing to say. <laughs> I've, I've picked a, a few things that Jesus had said that I think uh, sum us up or sum up who we want to be as a church wonderfully. Um, all three of them are from the Gospels, which are the books in the Bible that talk about who Jesus is and his life and his death and his resurrection. Uh, the first one is from, Mar I'm going to jump around, so don't, don't worry about following me if you don't want to. Uh, the first is from Mark 12, the second is going to be from Luke 4, and then the last one will be from Matthew 5. As I say, kind of a greatest hits. Uh, one of the teachers of the law came to him at them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which one is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Jumping to Luke 4. We hear that Jesus returned to, Naz to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up and read the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And finally, from Matthew 5. We hear that when he saw the crowds, he went up the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach him, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. We pray, as always, that our hearts be open to learn more about who you are and the kind of people that you want us to be. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks. My name is James. I am the pastor and failed gymnast of <laughs> Wellspring Worship Center. <laughs> uh, it's so wonderful to see you all with us today. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this question, who is Wellspring? Uh, and Who is Wellspring is both a document that the leadership of the church have put together, uh, but it's also a question that we are asking all of you. 
Uh, it's been really exciting to see the demographic of our church change in the last few years. That is a beautiful and exciting thing to see new people with different experiences and different opinions and different thoughts. And we want to hear from you. That's when we ask who is Wellspring, that's an answer that we want to hear from all of you. So that's a question that we do get to ask one another. And I'm sure that absolutely everyone here did read the annual report cover to cover. But just in case you didn't read the annual report cover to cover, I thought I would read the Who is Wellspring document uh, included in that report before speaking on it a bit. The next few weeks, we're going to be focusing on this document, which I think is really exciting. Just for what it's worth, I know calling something a document isn't exciting. I'm really excited about this. I think it speaks to our heart. I think it speaks to the kind of people that we want to be and the kind of people we want to be known as. So I'm going to read this. It has my name on it, but this really was a joint effort from a lot of the leaders. And as you know, they do a fairly good job of keeping me not too crazy. So who is Wellspring? This is, of course, quite a difficult question to answer. Uh, with our 126-year history, we can tell you that we are not the same church that we were when we started. We're not even the same church that we were a year ago. And naturally, it's difficult to put into words our identity on one page. Um, and we know that each person's response to this will be slightly different. That's okay. We hope that these answers give a comprehensive, albeit very short-handed answer. So there's two questions that this document addresses. And the first, and I think probably most important, is who is Jesus according to Wellspring? Wellspring is, first and foremost, a church that is dedicated to knowing, loving, and serving Jesus Christ. And because this probably doesn't differentiate us from a lot of churches, we thought we would explain that a little bit more. We hold to the same view about who Jesus Christ is as the church has done for 2,000 years. We believe that he was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. And those words are taken from the Apostles' Creed that we just heard. And one of the few things the church has actually agreed on for the past 1,700 years. It's a miracle the church has agreed on anything. Um, but the Apostles' Creed is, is one of them. We believe that, but we think that the Apostles' Creed is kind of missing something. We believe that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection restored the fractured relationship between God and humankind, and that both parties delight in this restoration. But if we do have a criticism of the Creed, and some people do, uh, it's that it should speak more to Jesus' life. We believe that Jesus lived a perfect relationship with God and served as a perfect example to us. Notice the creed just says, born under Virgin Mary and suffered under Pontius Pilate. We think between Luke 3 and Luke 20 are really important as well. There's a lot in scripture that those pieces don't mention. He served as a perfect example for us. He was one who loved those whom society felt it difficult to love. Jesus was a voice for those who have been silenced. Jesus was one who welcomed and created space for those whom often religious leaders of the day would not have welcomed or created space for. We believe that Jesus did all of these things willingly and delightfully. That his example of sharing meals together, even with people whose life experiences are different to their own, has grounded us as a community that does life together even when it gets messy. 
Jesus' example of self-giving love all the way through his life with special attention paid to those who so often found themselves excluded is a cornerstone on which we wish to build this church. So the second question, with a slightly shorter answer, is who are we? And it's with those pieces in mind that Wellspring has put a particular emphasis on a radical welcome to everyone. We recognize that this is an area in which many churches, ourselves included, have failed. We believe that this exclusion grieves the heart of God, and it's a posture that we, as a church, are repentant of. That for a long time, the like slogan, the catchphrase, the term for Wellspring was, we receive all whom Christ receives. And this is a beautiful statement, uh, but we think it needs a bit of clarification. We want you to know that you are welcome to come as you are. Your age, your ability, your wealth, your sexuality, your gender, your race are all part of your story, and therefore things that we honor. We believe that every single one of you is created in the image and likeness of God, and that is something to be celebrated. Each one of your voices gives a better understanding of God and God's love for us. And we know that our church is richer and more reflective of the Trinitarian God of love because of our diversity, not in spite of our diversity. We celebrate the inclusion and participation of everyone that walks through the doors at Wellspring. And so if you're someone who is carrying hurt from a previous church experience, please know that you're not alone. Being part of the healing process for people who have been wounded is one of the great privileges Wellspring carries. We understand that trusting churches can be hard, but we promise to be patient as <laughs> we hope you will be patient with us as we work through that together. We are glad you are here. So that's the Who is Wellspring document. So the next few weeks, I want to be looking on the kind of three aspects of this document that I think are vital for our following Jesus. And the first, which I'm going to be talking about this week, is that we are followers of Jesus. And that might sound kind of obvious, uh, but we can see that churches are really quite divided a lot of the time, and often that's down to our understanding as to who Jesus is. Uh, next week, I'll be talking about being generous in our differences and in our disagreements. And in the final week, I'll be talking about the importance of unity in a church. So depending on how long you have been at Wellspring or been at church in general, some of what you hear today won't actually be anything new. That's okay. But we also recognize that there are newer people that join us, and we pray that new people will join us, and we pray that people that maybe haven't ever felt at home in church will join us. And we want to make sure that everyone that joins us has an understanding of who we are and who we believe Jesus is. And next week, when I talk about disagreement and things feel a little bit more eh, shaky maybe, you can all think back to this week and think, well, at least we agreed with that. So, <laughs> you know, think about that. <laughs> we can remember that there is so much more that unites us than what divides us. And we are united by the greatest one of all, and his name is Jesus. And at Wellspring, we are followers of Jesus, and we recognize there are lots of people that echo that sentiment that may have different understandings, but Christ is at our core and at our center. There are groups in the world who are fantastic and doing really great work, uh, but they don't have Jesus at the center of them, and this is a fundamental difference. In that Who is Wellspring document that we read earlier, um, I also mentioned the creed, which Rita spoke earlier on as well. 
And as I say, this is one of the only documents that the church has agreed upon for about 1,700 years. Uh, the Orthodox Church will read this. The Catholic Church will read this. Protestant churches read this. It, it is no exaggeration to call it a miracle that we can all agree on that document. There are like 40,000 denominations in the world, by the way, and they all agree. Wellspring actually did a sermon series on the Apostles' Creed just before I got here, about five years ago now. Uh, and I'd really encourage you to listen to any of the lines that you may be uncertain with, because the people teaching back then did an absolutely fantastic job of bringing the beauty out of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, I will say, one of the lines that leaves me a little bit nervous in that is where it says Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. Uh, Jordan Ryan preached on that, and it's probably the best sermon that's ever been preached at Wellspring, which is a bummer for me, because <laughs> I've had a lot more tries than he has. There are also some churches in Canada, in the world, that do not affirm the Apostles' Creed because they don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. They don't believe that Jesus is God. Uh, so Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses would be examples of this. Um, there's lots of great people in those organizations. There's some problematic people, too. Um, there's no judgment either way on that. They're just not Christians. It's just they're not reaching that definition. Much like I'm not a vegetarian if I eat meat. You see, it's not... There's no value judgment here. It's just not the definition of what that thing is. If you don't have Jesus at the center, if you don't have Jesus as God, you're not Christian. You may be a fantastic person, but you're not Christian. So we as a church hold very tightly onto this. This may seem obvious, but let's just say in the last few years, as in some of the conversations I've had, people are nervous that maybe I don't hold to these things. So I just want to make it really, 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 really clear. I really hold to this. So we as a church hold on to this, and we believe that the Apostles' Creed that we heard earlier is sufficient. Uh, but we also recognize the Creed is not the complete story. It tells us about who God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are, but it doesn't quite tell us what they did. And this is, to me, actually kind of more interesting. We think what God and what the Holy Spirit and what Jesus does is incredibly important. So, how do we find out about what they do? We believe that the most coherent account of who Jesus is and what Jesus does is found in the Bible. As Christians, we don't worship the Bible. We worship God, which the Bible tells us about. But let's not fall into the trap of thinking that scriptures are more important than the one the scriptures tell us about. I also encourage us to be generous <laughs> because sometimes we can think what the Bible says is the same as what my tradition has told me the Bible says. And we need to be generous there. And I'll say this again and again, week after week. I encourage us to be curious and I encourage us to be generous to ask good questions and not make assumptions because people have different opinions or impressions or experience to us. But we do look to the Bible all the time because it has a beautiful, uh, it's beautiful and it tells us about who God is. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sum up the Bible in two paragraphs and let's see how this goes. Thank you, there we go, that's exactly what I mean. 
<laughs> to simplify this to a probably irresponsible degree, uh, the first part of the Bible is what we call the Old Testament. Uh, this was written over the course of hundreds of years. Most scholars think it was between about 1200 BC and about 500 BC. Don't at me. Lots of people disagree. The Old Testament tells us a lot about the history of God's people. It tells us about the things that they got right and how God celebrates that, but it also tells us about the things they get wrong and how those things grieve God's heart. Possibly most important for us, the Old Testament also tells us about the one who is to come, God's Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Chosen One of God who will make everything right. And the New Testament, that's paragraph one, the New Testament tells us that we as Christians believe, sorry, tells us about the one who we believe is God's chosen Messiah. His name is Jesus. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us about his life and death and resurrection. And the books or the letters that follow those four Gospels tell us how about the early believers understand what it means to live in the truth that God's Messiah has come. And that his victory looked very different to what they expected, that it wasn't a military victory over the Roman Empire, but a victory over the empires of death and Satan themselves. There you go, Bible in two paragraphs. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> Again, really oversimplifying thing, I want you asking questions. So if you feel that's incomplete, great. We're going to talk about it. So let me spend just the last three or four minutes talking about who Jesus is and what it means to keep Christ at the center and what we mean by that. This is, this is an interesting one to me. Um, some of you all know we've been going through an interesting time with the domination, and currently things are, and it looks like separation is inevitable, but people are owning one another. But when we were trying to work out whether we could stay <laughs> as an entity, they had us reading these different documents of the things we could agree with or disagree with. And there were three documents. One was the Articles of Faith, which we kind of agreed on. The second was the Articles of Practice, which we, well, I, say, I will say I found difficult to agree with. And the third was a document called Christ at the Center, which is exactly what it sounded like, just the supremacy and the importance and the gravitational pull of Jesus. And we said, well, you know, we can agree on two of the three, and we agree with Christ at the center. Surely that's the important one. And we're told, oh, actually, we're probably going to take Christ at the center out. <laughs> Feels somewhat problematic to me, but that's fine. I think Christ at the center needs to stay at the center. At Wellspring, we want Jesus to be our beginning and our end, our ends and our means. We want to live our lives and practices to echo and reflect the sort of life that Jesus lived. Jesus showed us exactly what it meant to live a perfect life, a life that was in perfect relationship with God the Father at all times. And that's something that humans had been getting very wrong until Jesus came along and made it right, and we haven't really nailed it since him either, but that's okay. His life was very, very different to a lot of the lives we see today. Lives today seem to be obsessed with power or influence or wealth or position or privilege, Jesus is instead obsessed with people. He dignifies those in society that have no dignity. He's obsessed with including people for so long had been left on the margins. Jesus' first sermon, which I read from Luke 4 today, promises to bring good news to the poor. 
He says, this is my good news. And through Jesus' perfect life, painful death, and glorious resurrection, the wound that existed between uh, God and humanity was healed. And there's lots of arguments about like how this happened. This is one of the main arguments in Christianity. The reason why there's 40,000 denominations is because so many of us like to argue about like how this relationship was healed. And it's very boring, unless you're me, in which case it's very exciting, and we can talk about it another day. Um, <laughs> but the truth is, so um, some people think it's like his birth that heals it. Some people think it's his life that heals it. Some people, it's his death that heals it. Some people think it's the resurrection that heals it. Some think it's all of the above. Some people think, you know, the point is actually hilariously, they're all in the Bible, by the way. So they're kind of all right. <laughs> but that's not important because the how this happened isn't important. The why is what matters. And the why is that Jesus loves us so much, that God loves us so much that he could not bear to be separated from us anymore. Jesus will make time for heavy theological debate in those places if that's what's needed. And so if you need that, that's cool. I did too. So there is space for that. It does excite me too. But Jesus' ministry isn't just spoken, it is embodied. He doesn't just tell us how to live, he shows us how to live. We can't ignore that Jesus also really knew how to have a good time. Like I can't say this enough. Sometimes we get the impression that Christians are so miserable. And that's really hard for me, because <laughs> that's not who Jesus is. That Jesus just welcomes everyone to share a meal at his table, the oppressors and the oppressed, the filthy and the filthy rich, although he doesn't seem to be so as excited about the filthy rich as the filthy. So it's Jesus' example of subversive inclusion, radical welcome, that we feel is missing from the Apostles' Creed. And it's something that's central to my identity as a Christian, and I hope to our identity as a church. Jesus tells us that most important command is to love God and to love one another. And here's the thing. It's really impossible to love one and not the other. At Wellspring, we want to love well. That when people ask that question, who is Wellspring, that they know it is a place where we love God and that we love them without any single person ever being excluded. <laughs>